continue on worshiping today. We are a church. We're a gathering of people who love Jesus and we want to know and love him more. And we love each other. We love the mission of Jesus in this world and we want to live it out together. So we're a church. But we're also a project. We're an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ originally intended church to be. And so we even model ourselves after, after what Christ originally intended church to be. If we look at the early church, they gathered by, you know, the dozens in house churches, and we do that as well. The early church also gathered, you know, by the hundreds in, in the courtyard as they worshiped. Well, here's our hundred courtyard worship. On a rainy day, I applaud you for that. And then our early, the early church we saw, we see, and we read about went out and met needs wherever they went in their community and their world. And through our ministry partnerships, we do the same thing. That's all we do. We do our Sunday gatherings, our house churches, and our ministry partnerships. So we're glad that you're here today. I want to give you two other announcements before we jump in. One, next week we have a child dedication. And so if you have a child and you'd like to dedicate them, um, just fill out on that response card on your, on your uh, chair or on an email that you get. If you're not getting the email, then put that on your response card, and you can register for that. And then on the following weekend, October 8th, we're going to have a start class. A lot of you are new to Church Project. You don't know where we came from. Um, we don't, you don't know what we're about, where we're going. And for a start class, it's a one-hour class where we feed you good food. Um, we have child care for that as well, and we talk about Church Project. So I'd encourage you, if you're new, to sign up for that. I think that's all we got. There's a lot going on. Don't we? Let's get started here. Um, I, I want to start and I want to ask a question because I'm asking you this question at the beginning because at the end, I want to actually have a few of you volunteer to answer this question. So it's, it's risky because usually when I do stuff like this, we get to the end and I ask the, the grand question and we, this is what we hear. So I'm giving you a warning to be praying about. Here's the question. How has becoming or being a Christian affected your relationship with others? And especially with your family and friends. How does your life look different now that you have, are a Christian or have become a Christian? So something to think about as we move through this passage today. If you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 23, and we're going to read all the way through uh, verse 31. If you have one of those big new Bibles, uh, what page is that on? Someone shoot out a page number. 1,706. Okay, very good. Thank you, Laura. So at Church Project, we do expository teaching. We go verse by verse. We're working our way through Acts right now. We're in Acts chapter 9, verse 23 through 31. I'll go ahead and read through this, and I'm excited for the message that God has for us today. In verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gate in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, 
speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenist Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Let me pray for this as we begin to talk about it. God, thank you for today. I thank you for Luke writing this. I thank you for inspiring Luke to write this. I thank you that we can read this today. I pray that in our hearts and in our minds, you'll be moving, that your Holy Spirit will be teaching and guiding us, and that today we'll just fall in love with you all over again. In your name we pray, amen. Why don't we look at verse 23, and I'm going to go through and pick some things apart as we look at these verses. In verse 23 it says, after many days had gone by. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 18, um, Paul, his name is later changed to Paul, begins to write about this. Right now his name is Saul, it's not changed to Paul yet. But in Galatians 1, 18, he clarifies how many days, okay? These many days were three years he spent in Arabia and then Damascus. So it's, it's easy to jump into this without knowing the context, but if you look in different places where Paul himself is writing about this experience, we start out in verse 23 and says, after many days had gone by and there was a conspiracy, I mean, you can go through that really casual, like, yeah, like a week or whatever, but this is three years that Saul, from a point, his, his tremendous conversion on the road to Damascus, going to Damascus, and, and all this time right now has three years are these many days that have gone by. So, after many days had gone by, there was conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. And in verse 24, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gate in order to kill him. Paul, as, as he had this incredible conversion, on, on the way to Damascus, he was going to arrest Christians and kill Christians. And then he came face to face with God. And he was blinded and overwhelmed. And, he, and, and, and in essence, he gave his life to Christ on the road to Damascus. And, and so now we see him in many days. Years have gone by now. And Paul was teaching a salvation by grace through faith message. After his conversion, he began to teach that salvation is by grace through faith. Done deal. I've seen Jesus, the Son of God, done deal. That's the message that he's teaching. Now, the Jewish people of this time were teaching a different message. They were teaching circumcision, and by obeying the Mosaic law is how you came to faith. So circumcision and law is what the Jewish people are teaching. Grace and faith is what Paul is teaching. Paul's teaching so enraged the Jewish people of the time, the Hellenistic Jewish people, who could not accept this doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, nor that they could accept that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. So they couldn't accept this wonderful message, so they have a plot to kill him. Paul, I think, is interesting. Saul, I'm sorry, I keep calling him Paul. 
I'll stay with Saul because we're not introduced to Paul yet. So Saul, I think, is interesting at this time. On the road to Damascus, he is coming with authority and power of men and rulers. He's coming on a horse and a carriage. He's proud. He's coming to arrest Christians and kill Christians. Like, this is the Saul we see at the beginning of the story. He is on mission with himself. He thinks he's right. He's fighting for God Almighty to arrest these Christians. And in this story we see right here, years later, after his conversion, he's leaving Damascus in a basket and dependent on others. And he's on mission with God. So coming to Damascus, he's on mission with himself, full of pride, living life alone, on his game. He encounters Christ in this story. The way he leaves Damascus is in a basket, depending on others and on mission with God. One of the defining moments, I I imagine, in Paul's life. I mean, put yourself in this story. He's getting lowered through the wall in a basket by others. They have ropes and they're letting him down. I wonder if he's thinking, what have I done? Like a defining moment of just, I came with authority and power on top of my game. And now look, I'm running for my life. Like what a defining moment. He even writes about this later on. I'd encourage you to read in Galatians about how he writes. I think this was an embarrassing thing for him. Like this, is, this is all new. I think back to my life. I bet you can think back in your life as I was a youth pastor. Actually, on top of my game as a youth pastor. I mean, we had thousands in our youth group. But yet, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money. So I got a job at Walmart, and I was pushing shopping carts. Nothing wrong with that. Loved it. I was in shape. They didn't have one of those cool things that the motor pushed it. No, had to depend on these muscles right here to push it. But I remember thinking, I was like, I, okay, I just spoke to, you know, a couple thousand. Now I'm here pushing shopping carts, and it's amazing. The people would throw shopping carts at me like, get this, you little slave. I'm like, <laughs> my basket moment, right? Like, it was good. It was good for me. And, I, and I, I think about Paul and his basket moment. It was good. It was good for him. It was God continually breaking pride in us. And I think about your own basket moments. I think of one for our family. That, that we were able to do. Last week, we celebrated six years as church project. That is awesome. Not only that, can I, can I tell you something even better? Like, we had a young lady last week give her life to Christ last week during, during our, time, our gathering. Yeah, that's a woo. That's a clap. That's a something. Like, I mean, awesome, awesome, awesome. But I think about a basket moment for the Havens family, and that was six years ago. And that was moving to Greeley to start Church Project and not having a job and having just a few dollars in the bank, but knowing that God had called us. And in a very real sense, we, we had to depend on so many people, friends and family that were starting to send donations and money to keep us alive, to provide, you know, to provide for our habits like eating and sleeping under a roof, things like that. You know, and, and it was a humbling but a very cool time to see that we were in a basket and others were letting us down slowly. Or picking us up, I guess, it would be the better way to say it. Like, what have, been, what have been the moments in your life that's a basket moment that you find yourself in and you realize that you're no longer living life on your terms or on your power, but you have to depend upon God and the church and others to continually lift you up and support you, provide for you, love you, encourage you, on and on we can go. 
So put yourself in this story of Saul when he's going through this in verse 23 and 24. Let's, let's pick up here um, in, in verse 25. But his followers took him, by, um, took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening on the wall. Verse 26. Oh, by the way, the opening on the wall was someone's house. So someone's house, they had to let him through this, this window in the wall. And obviously it was big enough that he couldn't just jump. So this is kind of a scary trusting thing as well, right? Okay, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. It wouldn't be hard to believe that this man saw when he was coming back, who was going to kill Christians, and now he's coming back claiming to be a Christian. Wouldn't it be hard to trust him? It would be for me. Get to verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. The distance between Damascus and Jerusalem is 135-ish miles. So by car, you can drive at 60 miles an hour. I'm, I'm this good at math. Three hours and 27 minutes was what it would take you to drive from Damascus to Jerusalem. So I imagine Paul, as he's being let down, fearing his life, getting let down in a basket, how long does it take him to walk to Jerusalem to get here? What kind of thoughts is he thinking? As Christians in Damascus just risked their life to let him down in a basket, now he's running for his life. It took him a while to get to Jerusalem. He's probably so excited to show up in Jerusalem knowing that Christians on this end risked their life. He's probably wondering that if Christians in the Jerusalem side are going to receive him with open arms saying, come on, brother, like we'll protect you, we'll hide you. But he shows up to the opposite of that, doesn't he? He shows up to Christians that aren't quite trusting, and for good reasons. You could see why they're not trusting him at this point. I think it's interesting. Like Ananias was in Damascus. Remember, Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he had to be encountered by Ananias, and Ananias had to come and believe in him and give him a good word. You know, like, like, like Saul encountered Ananias in Damascus, look who he encounters in Jerusalem. Barnabas, someone that believed him. One person, Ananias believed him in Damascus. That's all it took was one person hearing from God and believing him. And look what God did to Saul and Damascus. And the same in Jerusalem. One person believed in him in Jerusalem, Barnabas. And we see the story later. You know, for my life, it's like Jerry and Ordway. Jerry Ashita believed in me growing up. He's not here, but I would pick on him. Thank you, Jerry, for believing in me. Like, thank you for being the Ananias, or thank you for being the Barnabas who believed in me. It's like David Payton in Miami when I was a starving musician, and I couldn't even afford food, and he would show up and give me food. Thank you for believing in me. Like, thank you for being there. Church, thank God for the people who have believed in you. Thank God for them. They speak life into us. They vouch for us. They call greatness out of us. Think what Saul would be like without Ananias and Barnabas. God used them in a powerful, powerful way. So maybe today, maybe right now, pull out your phones, 
Text your Ananias. Text your Barnabas and say, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for vouching for me. Thank you for trusting when no one else would. Thank you for calling greatness out of me. Like, we stand on the shoulder of men and women that have come before us and believe in us. So let's thank them today. Let's go to verse 29 and and 30. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. In verse 29, the Hellenistic Jews. These are Greek-speaking Jews. That's what it means when it says Hellenistic Jews. So Paul, what we know about Paul, and if you do a character study on Paul, you're going to find some great, incredible stuff. We know this about Paul. Paul was from Tarsus, which is where they're sending him back at this moment, He's from Tarsus, which is the third largest center of learning in the ancient world. So this is an educated center, educated city. This is where Paul is coming from. And while Paul was there, he was trained in both Greek high-level, Greek rhetoric, and philosophy. So Paul, I keep calling him Paul, excuse me, Saul, okay? Saul is from Tarsus, from the third largest educated populous area in this ancient world. Saul was trained in both Greek rhetoric and philosophy, high-level education, and as well, he was also trained in rabbinical, uh, rabbinical Judaism. So this man knows his stuff. He's highly educated. Paul could take the finest education of Greek rhetoric and philosophy that he's received, and weave it with rabbinical Judaism, all to do what? To point to Jesus. Everything that that Saul had encountered in his life, all his education, all his experiences, all his relationships, we see from, from this point forward, as he writes 13 books of the New Testament, how this man full of Greek rhetoric and philosophy and rabbinical Judaism, this knowledge, this experience, we see him continually weave all of that to point to Jesus in a beautiful fashion. Better than anyone of the time could do. So, Jason Perman, is he in here? No, he's not here. The two people I'd named today, they're not even here. Okay, so Jason Perman, he weaves in Banner Health, because that's where he works, He weaves in being a dad of three. He weaves in being a lover of men and house church. And he weaves in even being a Bronco fan, which I don't know how you could do that. Come on. All to point to Jesus. I mean, what facts can you say about your life? Like what God has done, your education, your experience, what you love, what you do, who you are. How is all of that being the gospel message wherever you go? The gospel message, Saul could weave it with his education and experience to do what? Point to Jesus. And he's giving us a brilliant illustration of not to repeat his steps, but to be the gospel message wherever we go, weaving in everything that God has given us. Like, no one is going to represent Jesus more at Arby's than Peter. Right? And we could go across the room and say that to every single one of us. What a cool opportunity. Do you think God has uniquely gifted you and designed you for a purpose? Yes, he has. And look how Saul lived it out. Um, 
I, I already mentioned this, but just, just to jump back on it, I think it's interesting that in verse 25, he departed Damascus by a basket. And then we see in verse 30, Saul departs Jerusalem by a boat. He's continually in movement from this point forward as he weaves all of life together to tell others about Jesus Christ. He is a man on mission. And we can see in verse 31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the, living, I said that really Southern, huh? Living? Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers and all of God's people said, amen. Like this is the time. This is what's happening with the church. And in verse 31, here's the power. Church, do you want to grow? <laughs> How do we grow? I mean, just look at, look at verse 31. How do we grow? By living in fear of the Lord and being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. This is how the church grew. Living in fear of the Lord and being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So far, as we've been studying the book of Acts, you know, oftentimes commentarians will say this is the, the Acts of the Apostles. And I would beg to differ. I would say, no, this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is during, doing during this time, that was a tongue tire, is incredible. And it's absolutely beautiful to see what the Holy Spirit is doing. So nothing profound happens apart from the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit during this time in Acts, nothing profound happens. And I would go as far to say, without the Holy Spirit present in our life today, moving and guiding and prompting us, nothing profound is going to happen in our life. Are you daily asking for more of the Holy Spirit? Are you daily locking eyes with Jesus and with God and his scripture and saying, God, I want profound things to happen, and I know by these hands they won't. It's got to be by the act of your Holy Spirit in my life. Once the Spirit moves in the nouns of our life, the people, places, and things. Isn't that clever? Once the once this Holy Spirit moves in the nouns of our life, nothing is ever the same again. Look at what happened when the Spirit moved in the nouns of Saul's life. He came with authority on mission by himself and power. He leaves on mission with God and having a whole church behind him Everything about Saul's life changed when the Holy Spirit moved in his life. So church, how do we see God move in our city? How do we see God moving right now in our city? How do we see God moving in our workplaces? Because he's moving. He's moving. Do we see him? How do we see God moving in church project? He's moving, he's growing, and may it never be in any of these arenas by our talent or by our education. But may it be because we're a people that fear the Lord and we count on the Holy Spirit in our life. Amen? This is a powerful, simple, simple message. But if you're anything like me, I can take this simple, simple message and really twist it. Like, really twist it. What started as a beautiful thing in my life that I go, God, you're doing beautiful things and thank you for this. Suddenly it's like, 
now I feel entitled. And I'm like, yeah, God, thank you. I got this. And then it suddenly just transitions over into, yeah, I don't even know if I really need God in this anymore because I, I have authority. I have power. I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, the moment that we take our eyes off of fearing God and counting on the Holy Spirit, who cares if today this is my 100,000th message? Who cares? If the Spirit is not moving, you will hear nothing. So in our lives, wherever we go, in our places of professional, where we say we're professional, we've got this, we're leading the industry in this, which I hope in every realm of what we do as Christ followers, we are leading every industry that we're in. No one's smarter, no one works harder, no one, I mean, we're leading every industry, we're calling heaven to earth wherever we go, but it's only because we fear God and the Holy Spirit is moving. So go lead, go do, go be. Learn your Greek, your Greek rhetoric as, as, at the highest level you can. Go achieve, go lead, go do, and all along, don't let pride sneak in. All along, realize that it's the fear of the Lord and the Holy Spirit moving in your life. Amen? So here's the question. Yeah, go ahead. Clear your throat. I want to see who's going to answer this. I did you a favor. I'm giving you, the, I'm giving you the gift of going second because I actually asked Grandpa to answer this one first. So here is the question. And Aaron, I don't know what mic you, you want me to use. Um, one of these or... Okay, thanks, Ryan. Here's the question. How has God, how has becoming or being a Christian affected your life? You can just sit there, buddy. You don't need to walk unless you want to. You know, before I became a Christian, um, there were times in my life when I would offend maybe a good friend of mine, you know, and the thing that would always come to my mind was, will he forgive me? And that has always been an issue that I have had to deal with throughout all of my life. But when I became a Christian, I had a, a more difficult thing to deal with. Huh. I had to deal with reality. I had to deal with the fact that I am a sinner. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with the fact that because I was a sinner, I was under the sentence of death. Because the wages of sin is death. But then I began to study a little more in God's Word, and I found out something that has been so important to me God loves me. I don't know how he could, but he does. And yet there was this barrier. Sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. And so I did not have the fellowship with him that I really wanted. Hmm. And I kept trying to figure out what I could do about that. Well, I couldn't do anything about it. But God could. You know, God... uh, God only had one son, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus had never sinned. And it's hard to imagine someone like that, but he hadn't. He'd never sinned. And yet, God the Father asked his son Jesus 
if he would come into the world and pay my penalty of death so that the wages of sin could be forgiven Mm -hmm. and then open up his act of forgiveness to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big issues in my life was resolved once I began to understand that. Mm -hmm. I was a sinner. And the wages of sin was death. But God didn't want that relationship to continue like that So he asked his son Jesus to come into the world, be born of a virgin, and grow up just like we did. And then suddenly take upon himself our penalty and die upon the cross. And our penalty was paid for. Jesus paid for it. And now I could be forgiven. Mm-hmm. It, it, was so, it was so amazing that God would really love me enough that he was willing to make that kind of a sacrifice just so I could be forgiven mm-hmm. and be back in fellowship with him. So the one thing that's been so amazing to me since I became a Christian is the fact that I was a sinner. The wages of sin was death. God loved me enough to send his son into the world to pay that penalty. And when I put my faith in him, I was forgiven. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. He was a pastor for a lot of years. At 91, you can articulate the gospel in a beautiful way. Thank you, Grandpa. Who else? You got the gift of going second now. <laughs> right now we're hearing the bird sounds. I gave you, I gave you 30 minutes to, to get to think about this one. Who wants it? Brittany? Um, I know one thing that's really changed when I've been really intentional about pursuing Christ. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, so it's always just growing little by little and learning more about like who Jesus is and how I can copy him, but especially throughout college, uh, my friends would say like, oh, you're so bold or you're so blunt. <laughs> and it wasn't until I was at, at YWAM that God convicted me. Actually, someone who didn't know me gave me a word and it's and first Peter, first John, somewhere in there. But it's like, uh, let people, something along the lines of, let people know you're a Christian through gentleness. And I think I thought gentleness was kind of dumb, like along the lines of being a sissy. And I realized that, that I was not gentle in my words. And... Sorry, Jenny, I touched it my bad. And that to be more like Jesus meant to, to be kind with my words and to be a lot more gentle. And so uh, I could still speak the truth, but, you know, it's like what we say as Christians all the time, speak truth in love. 
It looked a lot more gentle. It looked a lot more kind. And often it looked a lot more like silence mm. and then me bringing that to God instead of me bringing that to them in judgment. So. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's me. We'll leave it right here. Who uh, is taking the gift of going third? We'll go with one more. So if you're on edge, throw your hand up. This is your chance to give in a, a reason for the hope you have in Christ. So one of the things, uh, it's just fitting today that Ryan got to stand up here and talk about Young Life today, because one of the things that I think changes for all of us when we start following Christ is that it's not about us anymore. Um, like what Grandpa said, Jesus came, he humbled himself to the place of a servant, became obedient to death, even on a cross. It wasn't about him. He did it to serve us. Um, and so for us in following Christ, it's not about us. It's about the other. Um, and you guys saw that today because Ryan is the executive director for Youth for Christ. His fundraiser is six days after mine, and yet he stood up here and talked about Young Life, which is what I'm the director for. Um, we get to be part of this kingdom that it's not a competition, right? In the business world, if you own a business that's doing the same thing as another, you compete and you fight and you try to promote yours over the other. Um, but when we are in the kingdom of Christ, we, we lift up the other and not ourselves. Um, thank you for setting that example for us. Um, go to his fundraiser too. <laughs> um, it's on October 6th at 11 a.m. Um, but but that, that is what it means to live in humility and obedience is to, to make ourselves less, to lift up the name of Jesus, but also to lift up the people around us um, in the same way that Jesus humbled himself for us. This is what I'm going to ask. I'm going to, I'm going to ask, if you would, just close your Bibles and close your eyes. If, if we believe that the Holy Spirit moved in this time, and without the Holy Spirit moving in this time to do miraculous things, then we believe in the same Holy Spirit today that has always been and will always be. And so if we believe that without the Holy Spirit's miraculous movement, then nothing miraculous would happen, then we believe that today in our own lives. And so my favorite part of our gathering is this time right here. This is where I ask you just to really think and pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a, in, a, in a very powerful and special way. So God, I pray for your people. I pray for your church. I pray for me. I pray for my friends. I pray for everyone listening, that you would quiet our minds, you would quiet our hearts, and that God, we would allow you room to move and to show up, to correct us, to encourage us, to love us, to remind us. God, I ask that you speak in every one of our hearts and minds right now. God, would you remind us of who you are today and what you've done as Grandpa articulated, what you've done for us. And how our identities are completely changed because of who you are. So may we not in this moment focus on what you've done for us, but may we focus on who you are. God, your love, your grace, your gentleness. And church, just call out to God. Just tell him who he is in this place. God, your peace.
Jesus. Like a loving father who loves his children, he wants us to give us a new identity. And our identity is found in in Christ. And so when God looks at us, he sees the identity of Jesus written on our hearts. He sees a perfect son, a perfect daughter. And so in this place, we know the world has been trying to beat us down and fill our heads with lies. So in this place, God, would you remind us who we are? Like your sons and daughters? Would you heal us? May, may we know in this place that there's no action that we could ever, ever possibly do that would separate us from your love. So that thing we did last night or last week or four years ago, that doesn't matter anymore. When we call on your name, we embrace the grace message. We understand the weight of our sin. And we live for you. God, you see perfect. You see Jesus. So God, I pray against all of us right now. If there's anything in our head or in our heart that says we're not worthy or we're not capable or we can't be loved, that that would be killed right now. That God, we would know that we are worthy, that we are worthy of being loved, that we are capable, that we are enough because of you. So Holy Spirit, move and heal in this place right now. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that has never called on your name, that today would be the name they call on your name, that they say, God, enough me living on my own and for me. But God, I want to live for you, directed by you and loved by you. I want my identity to be in you. And in church, if that's you today, I I ask you, just call in the name of Jesus. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I give you control. And I would encourage you, also to just on your response cards just make a note of that put your name and number down put it in the offering in the back left that black box we want to talk to you we want to show you we want to tell you how much you're loved you're not alone you have a lot of people that love you church before we go into more worship and just sing and praises to who he is I want to bless you today so God Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over your people today. I pray that you would bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. I pray that you would give them your peace and that your kingdom would come and your perfect will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all of God's people said, amen. Church, let's stand and worship God in this place.